Shop Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek minutes away with an experience miles above. Delivering the right car, the right price, the right way. Come see why more are choosing Jermaine Ford. Just off of 35 east of 675, Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast with WHIO meteorologist McCall Rydags and Kirsty Zontini, brought to you by Jermaine Ford and Beaver Creek. Remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Welcome to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm Chief Meteorologist McCall Vrydags. It is the end of summer. We are right at August 29th. We are three months past the Memorial Tornado outbreak, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I have two really great guests on, one of which has been on several times. I've literally lost count how many times he's been on, and another one is a new guest. So let's welcome Gary Clark. He is a co-coordinator of Skywarn, but more so for this this episode, we're going to talk about the fact that he's been a Red Cross volunteer since 2013, and he's actually going to be deployed down to Florida because of the hurricane that is on the way in, Hurricane Dorian. We also have the executive director of the Dayton area chapter of the Red Cross, Corey Paul, and he's going to talk a lot about uh, what the Red Cross was doing when we were going through the Memorial Tornado outbreak and the aftermath, and then plus, uh, what are we doing locally to help out with the Red Cross down in Florida? as Hurricane Dorian approaches. So let's start out with the Memorial Tornado outbreak. More than three months ago now, um, you've all heard, if you've listened to the podcast previous, about my... um, take on what I was going through during the tornado outbreak. In the same building was Skywarn, and Gary Clark was here, um, and Skywarn is different from the Red Cross. So why don't you elaborate on what Skywarn does and what you were doing during that event? Skywarn, for our role here, um, we're a group of amateur radio spotters who actually take um, uh, spotter reports in the field and give ground truth to the uh, weather service. So we relay our reports from what's taken out in the field and given to the weather service who then looks at what they're seeing on the radar and combines the the ground truth report with the radar to come up with the warning. Right. So the day of the outbreak, you know, as well as I knew, the uh, there was a threat for severe weather that day. There wasn't necessarily a threat for multiple tornadoes and let alone you know, an EF4 tornado in our our listening and viewing area. So what time did you guys get in to WHIO to set up for that day? Do you remember? I can't remember. We were here pretty early. I mean, I was here, I'm usually here early on for Mm -hmm. any severe weather. Um, I'm watching it even when the mesoscale discussion comes out early. I'm on my way down here and then I'm watching it pretty Periodically throughout the day, just to see how it progresses, even if nothing comes on. I'm at least here monitoring and listening to a report. So I was watching stuff out of Indiana as it was moving west. And I was posting stuff on our Facebook page uh, showing the rotations coming in from Indiana. And we knew the stuff was coming in toward Mercer County. So that wasn't a, a big surprise that that happened. But stuff that was coming down, it, coming eastward into... Um, central Miami Valley, but then the weather service calls calls us to give us the alert that we're going to extend the watch and it's going to include Preble, Montgomery, Green counties. And looking at the the trends, and we asked them, are, are you sure it's going to come that far south? And he says, yeah, we think that uh, 
we think something's going to happen. Just looking at the the uh, atmosphere and not knowing that we're going to have an EF4 strike. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we alerted our crew and got the rest of the team in. And then, of course, we've we seen to. what happened. Yeah. So for me that night, the turning point was, so, of course, we had that a tornado that occurred in Mercer County. I could see the debris field. Uh, but then it was when I saw multiple circulations, and one of which was near Laura, near Ludlow Falls. And that was the turning point for me that I knew that this was like a, oh, no, we're going to see a lot of them tonight. Was there a point that night where you realized this is going to be way worse than earlier expected? Not so much. Like I said, we knew. I mean, watching the stuff coming from Preble when we first got the first warning, from the Lewisburg area, and then yeah, we seen the New Madison, mm-hmm. and we started hearing the first damage reports of New Madison with the building, the door damage, or the porch, or what I can't remember exactly what mm-hmm. the, the damage report from New Madison was. Like I said, we did not know that that drift was going to come downward, and then and then to see the tornado path actually bow the way it did. Yeah. So. Gary's job, he sits in a room here in the studio, not in the studios, outside of the studios, and he's here with uh, three, maybe four guys at one time, and they're listening to radio traffic of people giving them reports of what's occurring in their area, their city, their town, their neighborhood. And then, as he mentioned, they're relaying that information along to the National Weather Service. So you have a totally different experience of what is happening and it was likely very chaotic were all of your radios just super loud with tons of reports coming in no that night it's super rare because at night it's hard to see of course we Mm -hmm. tell people don't chase at night you can't see it but through the lightning flashes and the electricity power going out and the size of the tornado they could see it so you know 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night as it's coming through, we did get the reports. Our first report came in. Uh, the spotter was between West Alex and New Lebanon, looking north. Said he could see the tornado on the, on the ground in Brookville. So we know, yeah. you know, the high school gym got hit and that subsection got hit in Brookville. Mm-hmm. The next report came from uh, Diamond Mill Road. He was looking north, said large tornado on the ground, headed for Trotwood. That's what prompted the uh, National Weather Service to to make the uh, tornado emergency alert, right. which, you know, that's the the enhanced alert. That's the... The, the, the top alert. The top yeah. alert they can send out, yes. Yeah, for a tornado. Um, they've only done that at one other time, and that was the 2012 outbreak down in uh, the Crittenden Piner mm-hmm. tornado down there in uh, Kentucky. Yeah. When, uh, you know, they had the Henryville, Indiana tornado that came across so that's the only other time that that office has put out a tornado emergency so Corey, when did you realize that uh there was this intense situation that was going on and what was your reaction so knowing that the system was coming through um, quite early we had shelters that were on standby we had volunteers that were on standby to make sure that if and when this this were to get big uh, that we would be able to respond in a, uh, a very efficient and fast manner. And so there were shelters that we utilized that night uh, that were on standby in the early evening as uh, we were watching uh, the weather coming through. Um, and we use all the assets that we can get as far as situational awareness. So we're using 
uh, data that's coming from Skywarn, data com that's coming from the news stations, uh, just to make sure that we have the best situational awareness as possible. But I can tell you that uh, we had volunteers and shelters that were staged uh, well before the first tornado even touched down. Is there some type of phone tree where, you know, I'm calling this person and they're calling all these people and then it's a whole activation deployment process. Yeah, pretty much. So we uh, we can activate almost immediately. We have volunteers that uh, set their schedules and say when they are available and when they're not. Um, and we have a system that, that we can really push one button and notify uh, hundreds of volunteers in an in instant through a phone call or text message, an auto call, uh, to give them the basic information that is that is occurring, and then where and when we need them uh, to respond, if only to be ready, if only to stand by and and you know get your get your boots on and get ready to go. So, did you? Um, when was the button push per se? And was it during the event, or if it was during the event, did you say just be on standby, we have to wait for this to clear, because it was just chaotic and there were rotations well, it, everywhere? It, it escalates, right? And yeah. so uh, you first get kind of a warning order that the, the severe um, storm system is moving through and will likely impact um, the, the chapter area. And again, we don't know exactly how it was going to escalate. And mm -hmm. so the first step is just making sure that our volunteers are safe and their families are safe. And then as that moves along and as it escalates, as we're getting more data from, from um, the National Weather Service and Skywarn, everybody, uh, we can escalate those and actually get volunteers on the ground to do their specific jobs, like opening shelters or doing mobile feeding, those kind of things. What was your reaction the next morning at First Light? Well, I can tell you that I was at home um, uh, in Butler Township when the uh, tornadoes were coming through, and we missed um, we missed one to the north and one to the south. And um, it, we were very lucky. My family was very lucky. But um, after the systems came through, we, um, you know, I have a one one year old uh, baby, so the three of us were just kind of trying to calm her down and get her back to bed, and then. Um, uh, just hearing reports from volunteers and, and watching some of that, I really knew that it was going to be worse the next morning, right, when the, when the sun came up and we can actually see this. It took me about two hours to get into work um, from Butler Township into downtown Dayton that night or that early morning. Um, but we already had volunteers at our chapter. We had all, already had volunteers at the, at the shelters before I even arrived. It was wonderful. So um, with all of the volunteers that you had, did we have to call in extra support? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, all disasters happen lo uh, locally. They, they, they start and end locally. And, um, you know, this system was uh, unprecedented. I hate saying the word, but, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in the Dayton area for, for hundreds of years. And so, um, you know, we have a really great, tight group of local volunteers, but some of them were dealing with their own emergencies. Some of them were, were dealing with their own power outage and own water emergency. And so uh, we have a support system of other, of other Red Cross volunteers uh, from Cincinnati and Columbus and Indianapolis, as far as Washington State, that are able to deploy uh, to come and support those local communities. So it's a it's a really great system that, that we use uh, almost on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Was there anything, similar question that I asked Gary before, is there like a, a turning point or a moment that sticks out in your mind about that whole event, whether it was night of or day after or days since? For me personally, I think it was the day after, the morning, the morning of, first light. Mm -hmm. um, 
just seeing the kind of destruction. And, and you know, I, I follow social media. I saw some dark pictures. I heard some reports from from colleagues and volunteers. And uh, the news was really great and, and keeping us updated. But I knew, like, just personally, um, this place that I call home and then seeing that destruction, that was really the turning point for me and, and really seeing all the reports from our volunteers in the field about um, where where the tornadoes did hit and kind of what it missed and what it hit and mm-hmm. just trying to uh, take it all in yeah. and then really kind of figure out what the next step was. So people that are listening or watch TV and they see these devastating things, you're like, okay, it's never going to happen to me. Okay, the Red Cross helps. Then it does happen. And do people really know what they're supposed to do in that moment as far as getting Red Cross help? So what could I do if my house was hit by a tornado last night? So I can tell you the first thing that I hear from most of our clients is we never thought this was going to happen to us. That was that was that rang true for a lot of people in that situation. I even had a piece of that where I was like, wow, this is this is. Uh, pretty substantial and I kind of dismissed it the night of almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you that the Red Cross works very hard to make sure that our community partners, the government agencies are aware of the work that we're doing uh, instantly mm-hmm. uh, to create more situational awareness. We utilize social media, we utilize press releases. We really rely on all types of communications to get out the information to uh, those affected about where they can find some comfort and care. Mainly, the, you know, the first couple days is where are the shelters, right? right? Uh, so you can visit redcross.org slash shelters uh, and, and, and find where the shelters are. Um, but if you don't have inter- internet access, then you can look at, um, uh, you know, many news stations uh, post our, our shelters. 211 had that information. Uh, the, the counties, uh, even the jurisdictions had the information about where those shelters were. So moving forward, now that we've been through that, I feel like it's a big wake-up call for us in the Miami Valley. What are the things that I should have to keep me prepared if if something like this were to happen? It doesn't have to be necessarily tornadoes, but any significant weather event that could leave me without power for days. And I appreciate you saying that because that is pretty much where we are now as far as the long-term recovery um, the Red Cross is involved with long-term recovery groups uh, in the county level and, and working with a lot of community partners to make sure the community uh, uh, recovers from this. But I'll tell you that, um, you know, it was scary the day of, and it, and it, it made a really large impact in the psyche of, of, of the Dayton area. Um, and a lot of the questions that I, get, I am getting is that a specific question. What can I do personally to make sure that I'm a little bit more prepared? Right. And I'll tell you that... Uh, you don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars and be a doomsday prepper. You can really just take simple actions, simple steps to make sure that you're a little bit more resilient, a little bit more prepared. First and foremost is water. You should have uh, backup water in bottles in your home at all, at all times, at least a gallon of water per person per day. And you should be prepared for about 72 hours. So that's three days. That's three gallons per person mm-hmm. per day. And don't forget about your pets. Right. Uh, so water, food, make sure that you have uh, shelf stable. Um, you know, you don't have to cook it. You, it just, just, you know, MREs or, or shelf stable, uh, non-perishable food. Um, medications, you know, a cell phone charger, uh, batteries, First aid kit. I mean, you, you can go on and on as far as what you can, what you need. You can visit redcross.org to get a, a list of those, like a checklist. Mm-hmm. You can kind of go to the supermarket every time and get a couple more things in your in your to-go kit. But um, 
what we see is a lot of people being very reliant on emergency services and being reliant on nonprofit agencies, which is um, which is fine because we're here to help. But um, what you can do for yourself and your family is become a little bit more personally prepared, a little bit more self-reliant, mm-hmm. uh, which will increase your resilience. If you go without power for four hours, you should be able to stay in your home and be able to take care of yourself. Now, that doesn't uh, take into account like durable medical equipment or CPAP machines, right. oxygen concentrators, those kind of things are a little bit more complicated, but uh, backup batteries or a plan uh, to what you should do if the, the power was out for any longer than that. And so really just kind of think about where you were that day mm-hmm. and, and the last the next couple days into the weeks and what you really needed and and get that, stock up on that, and, and you'll be a little bit more prepared for the next time. I was... Uh on Jim Ani's show uh, with you, yeah. um, talking about uh, WHI reports, if you don't know who he is or what show I'm referring to. And one of the things that you mentioned on there, which I was like, I don't know why a light bulb went off, but you talked about shop out of your you know, backup stuff because people are worried like, oh, it'll go bad. You know, I don't know if that deters them from putting it there because they're like, it's a waste mm-hmm. and it's just going to sit there. But why not get your supply up and then you can go in there and say, I'm going to take this case of water Next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to pick up a new case and put it in there. Exactly. And I think the, the, the main tenet of that is being aware of what you have in that kit. You mm-hmm. can do a simple inventory once a month. And then if things are getting uh, things are going to be expired in the next 60 days, 90 days, use them, cook them, right. but then make sure that you replace it. And so that gives you a chance to kind of revisit where you are. And again, people's lives change, uh, you know, your needs change. And so making sure that you have an up-to-date kit, um, that kind of forces you to kind of get at the kit and, and, and take a look at it what, it, what it can do for you today. Shop Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek, minutes away with an experience miles above. Delivering the right car, the right price, the right way to the Miami Valley and beyond. Take advantage of our low price tire guarantee and extended service hours on Saturday. With same day appointments and mobile service options available, our goal is to fix your car right the first time, on time, every time. Just off of 35 East of 675, Jermaine Ford of Beaver Creek. And one thing that I had thought in my uh, head from when I was doing a a report about situational awareness, and we're very reliant on technology. And sometimes in these situations, you can lose your phone. Absolutely. We all rely on our phone. It probably has all of our information. It has our doctor's phone number in there. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, all, all that type of stuff. Why not just write it down on a piece of paper? You know, what is the medication that I take? What's the name? I don't know what the name is. You know, write it down. Write down your pharmacist's phone number, your doctor's number, and just tuck it in that kit. Absolutely. That's a perfect thing to have in there is a little binder. I usually um, uh, suggest getting those uh, those uh, binder uh, sheets, mm-hmm. the plastic sheets that you can kind of put a piece of paper in. It'll keep it a little bit drier if, 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 if the emergency was flood or heavy rain or things like that. But really what you want to make sure of is, okay, well, if I take your phone away from you right now, how will you contact your parents or your brother or whomever? Uh, how will you contact? Yeah, your, your doctor. Uh, so having a printout of those emergency contact numbers is a brilliant thing to have. I, I say this all the time. If I wanted to call my brother, I take up my phone and I press his face on my phone, right? Uh, if my phone is dead or, you know, waterlogged, there's, I don't know his number. Right. And if I don't have it written down, I wouldn't be able to borrow someone else's phone or go to a pay phone or use a phone bank or whatever to let him know that I'm okay. 
And, and, and actually, Corey and I talked about this on uh, about the, tor- the night of the tornado. How a lot of people were unaware that the tornado was coming at them. That either their phone apps did not go off, mm-hmm. or they were watching um, Amazon Fire Stick, or streaming right. on Netflix, or or their their child was on uh, a gaming device and they were unaware what was coming at them that night. Mm-hmm. And a family member called them to tell them what was coming to take cover. And then they turned their, their device off or they they charged their phone up enough that they could, they could look at something or, or they turned their TV on to, and then they saw your broadcast and seen what was coming at them. And they had just enough time to take cover. Yeah. Some of them just barely got down the stairs before it hit them. Yeah, they were just unaware of what was coming at them because they were so dependent on that technology. Yeah, and so you know we'd like to recommend weather radios yeah, because back to the basics. just just like smoke alarms and fire detectors mm-hmm. and stuff that those things will alert at any time, day or night, and they're loud. You know, same with the weather radios; they're going to go off for any hazard, and they're loud. And, you know, you can leave them on battery powered or plugged in mm-hmm. and they're going to go off all the time. And that's what they're made for. Right. Yeah, 100%. Because I can just think, relating to you, you know, my daughter, can I watch something on your phone? And do you know how many times that, like, I get a message and she just ignores it? Or, you know what I mean? I can imagine that, you know, maybe I'm getting an alert on my phone and she's just swiping away. Right. She wants to watch Peppa Pig on my phone. <laughs> but <laughs> and, but, and another one of those things that we talk about on, on uh uh, long-term recovery that maybe that I've seen in being deployed in uh, hurricanes is that maybe the EMA needs to come up with those that those that are on oxygen or have long-term care that's going to be without power and then there's a way that you need to register those people that need to be checked on afterwards it's a great idea because I know in the hurricane zones that they know they're going to be without power for a week or so they do that they register with the emas that way afterwards they can go and send um a fema team out or uh, first responders out to go check on those people that are vulnerable that they know that they're going to be without oxygen or without or or they know they're bedridden or they know they have special needs Mm -hmm. that they need to be checked on after services are starting to be restored and maybe that's something we need to come up with here because it hasn't been thought about because it hasn't happened here. Well, because we don't typically have events that are long-term. You know, every once in a while you do, you get, you know, Ike that'll come through right. and knock people out for, for days. And another preparedness program that we have, and I'll let Corey talk about it. I'm something I'm involved in. We have a preparedness program for our grade school between third and fifth grades that we provide at Pelicase Project, which uh, um, we go into all the classrooms in the schools here. Um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a preparedness uh, project for third, fourth, and fifth graders where you uh, will learn being weather aware. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between a watch and a warning? Those kind of things, and then what you can do to simply make yourself and your and your family a little bit more prepared. So it is about getting a kit together. It is about making a plan. Uh, what happens if we can't go back to the house? Where do we meet? Uh, what happens if we're separated during the event? Where do we meet? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are scary conversations to have, uh, but they're necessary for, to make sure that your family is a little bit more safe. And so we 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 advocate for that. We teach for that. Um, we teach what, some coping device uh, yeah. some coping devices for children. Mm-hmm. You know, we ha- we teach to breathe in with color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just teaching them how to. Uh, to cope with what's going on around them. I would say that's and, probably very effective just because when I was young, 
Fire Prevention Week, my right. mom said, was the worst week because I would come home and I would be so <laughs> hyper vigilant to yeah. make sure that we knew what we were going to do if our house caught on fire. Well, and that's why we—that's why we work with the third, fourth, and fifth graders—is because they're the ones that are going to go home and bug their parents yeah. about changing the smoke alarms and getting the plan and kind of going through that. Um, they're the ones that are a little bit more vigilant. Hundred questions. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it, 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 it was a project that came out of Katrina, though after they've seen all the these college students leaving the dorms having to evacuate and everything was stuck in their pillowcases leaving and that became a project uh, later sponsored by disney but now it's uh, it became a preparedness project for our grade school speaking of preparedness we'll switch gears a little bit because you got a special phone call today <laughs> gary and what was that phone call um i'm getting ready to deploy to florida i'll be going to orlando and uh get ready for the hurricane that's coming so you've been deployed many times, and you were saying before we came on here, this is the first time that you've been deployed before the event happened. So Pre-deployment. Pre-deployment. Yes. You're usually going in after chaos has occurred. Yes. Whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, wildfires. Yep. You've, you've been to all of these. March, I was just in uh, Nebraska for the floods. Yeah. So you've been to all of it. So what goes into your preparation to going down there? Um... Just, like what's in your bag? What do you? Because you can't bring a lot with you, right? Do you have a to-go bag ready to go at all uh, times? Just, just my normal, uh, just normal, normal stuff clothes and. Uh, do you bring extra supplies with you, like water, food, those things that you're not? Um, well, if you you're know, in a position where that stuff's n not available, I know a lot of people are already. Remember, I'm flying down, stores. so okay. I'm only limited to what I can take because then we're extra charges on our bags. So, but you're going with the Red Cross. Does the Red Cross have a kind of like a supply for you guys? Yeah, yeah. We're, they make sure that we're still taken care of down there. Mm. So that that's never been a problem any anywhere that I've been. Yeah. Um, I only ask because I know that when we go with the station we try to bring our own supplies because there, you know, there may not be fresh water left yeah. wherever we're going because if people did what they're supposed to do, they've shopped out all the grocery stores and they've taken all the gas. You know, usually we bring a few tanks of gas with us. So and we don't those get stranded. Are, those are great. Uh, those are great tenants to do. And, and, you know, depending on how we get to the next disaster and, and who we're sending and those kind of things, we do take those into consideration for mm -hmm. sure. You know, the main goal is to make sure that our workforce, mainly our volunteers are happy and healthy and, and ready to go. And so um, it's not only we're caring for the thousands and thousands of people that are affected by Hurricane X or, you know, Tornado Y. It is how do we make sure that everyone that we're working with uh, is is has food, has clothing, has water and able to kind of uh, be successful in that mission. And so, yes, uh, so we, FEMA, won't, we the, won't send anybody unless we know that they're going to be safe. The FEMA teams go and they're, they're supposed to be self-reliant for 72 hours or whatever it is when they go. The Red Cross usually has their own warehouses that they're setting up. Mm -hmm. So they already had the supplies coming in to serve their client. So that's already there. We're also clients too. Right. So right. we we have the supplies on hand to take care of ourselves as well. So what's the process of Gary getting that phone call? So they're, they already know they're going to need extra help. So what happens at that point? So I can tell you that uh, before anything ever touches the ground, there is a fair amount of training and experience that we that we ask our volunteers to take on. Um, 
it's it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of work. Uh, there are situations that you are in that you need to make sure that you are providing the best mission possible, the best service to our clients possible. And so, um, you know, we're not just sending anyone off the street. Uh, so uh, the first and foremost is Gary's gone through a lot of different training, has become, um, you know, a subject matter expert in a lot of the th- different things that we do, disaster service technology and information and planning, those kind of things. And then uh, part of it is just making sure that he has his availability into the system uh, to where when the field asks for 100 shelter workers, uh, because we have more shelters open or, or whatever, then uh, our system can tell us who's available, who's ready to go, and that actually can automatically go out to those volunteers. Uh, we then speak one-on-one to each volunteer before they deploy, uh, make sure they're in good health, make sure they're in good mental health, make sure they're ready to go, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that they understand what they're getting themselves into. So any of the um, the austere environments, you may have to sleep on a cot, you may have to, you know, you, you, the storm's not ending, you may, you know, there's all kinds of dangers that um, that happen during a disaster, and we try our best to keep our volunteers away from that, but we also need to do our mission. And so there's a fine line between that, but making sure every volunteer is aware of what they're getting themselves into is important. Um, and then really just answering the questions, making sure that they're ready to go, a couple administrative pieces, and then get their, get their, uh, the travel figured out and, and send them on their way. So I think what you got the call just now, maybe half an hour ago, Gary, and you're leaving tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So 24 hours is pretty much, pretty much that to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that everything at home is taken care of and ready to go. And, and it, even if you, if you can't deploy out nationally, we have local program too. We have a disaster action team. So if you can't deploy, if you don't have the time or, if you, you know, if you have family commitment stuff, we have our local fire responders, you know, our local fires, mm-hmm. they become our, our first shelter teams too in case of tornadoes, you know. They become the first people we call to help shut up our shelters until we can get the resources in here to set up a, to uh, to have shelter, um, people to manage those shelters. That's awesome. So, you know, if, if that's not your take or, if, you know, um, that could be another avenue for yeah, them. Yeah, so if you want to volunteer, it doesn't mean you have to go down to Florida when hurricanes are happening. Right, you can right. volunteer in many ways and, and stay local. Well, when lar- yeah, and exactly. And la- when large disasters are happening across the U.S. or in- even internationally, we're sending some of our best people. Right. And they're leaving a gap behind locally. And so we need to be able to fill, fill those gaps uh, as they're deploying and build the bench strength and kind of make sure that our volunteers are both uh, engaged at the local level, uh, like Harry said, on single-family house fires or the pillowcase project, we have all kinds of ways to engage volunteers, whether you have a couple hours a month or you're 40 hours a week, that kind of deal. So uh, there's a lot of different ways to get involved with the Red Cross and and, um, and advocate for people to um, be a little bit more resilient and, and really work with them in their time of need. That's amazing. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, so much great information there. And Gary, I definitely want to hear about your experience when you come back. Um, I hope that you are safe. You are loved by us here at Channel 7. And um, again, just make sure you reach out, send me some messages while you're down there, when you come back. I'd love to hear what what your experience was like. And Corey, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And thank you for doing so much for the Miami Valley. And hopefully we don't have to go through anything like we did again uh, just a few months ago.
Well, and, and we know that it will sooner or later. Yes. We know that it's going to, you know, the next one's going to happen. And we just want to make sure that we're uh, more prepared than last time and and take the lessons learned and, and make our con- community a little bit stronger every time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast all about weather and all things outside of that that perhaps could involve weather or things like that. You can listen, subscribe, and download to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast on your podcast app on your Apple iPhone or device, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.